Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And we're going to have a conversation today about social studies here in our state uh, and also nationally, as we're grateful to welcome in John Lee, who is the co-founder of C3 Teachers. He's an associate dean and professor at NC State. And we're going to get the opportunity to learn a little bit more about C3 Teachers, the C3 framework, inquiry design model for social studies instruction, and really where that's met some pretty uh, robust efforts in our state to develop units that are available for grades four through eight. And I'm grateful to Mark Brady, who's a professional development coordinator at ESU 7, for joining us for today's conversation as well, uh, as he'll be able to kind of bring updates uh, and a little look ahead at where that particular project is at and and going in Nebraska. And so, John, Mark, thanks for joining us for the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, we'll start with John then. Thank you for taking a little time uh, to lead as a part of this conversation, the backstory behind the C3 Teachers framework and site. And so I'll just kind of turn things over to you for the backstory a little bit, John, on how uh, this effort came about. Sure thing. Thank you. And uh, thank you as well for inviting me to be on the program with Mark. Uh, C3 Teachers is an effort that got underway in 2014 to bring teachers who are interested in using inquiry in their classroom together in a network, um, a collaborative network to share ideas, to develop curriculum materials and learn from each other. C3 Teachers was explicitly an effort to provide a, an articulation of the C3 framework which is a standards guidance document that was published in 2013, on September 17th, 2013, Constitution Day. A little bit of a backstory on the C3 framework. The C3 framework was commissioned by a group of state social studies specialists in late 2010. Among those specialists were folks in the state of Nebraska, specifically Harris Payne, who was the social studies lead in Nebraska at the time. There were 23 states that were participating in a national organization called CCSSO, the Chief Counsel for School State Officers. And uh, that's the professional organization for state school superintendents. CCSSO had published in 2010 a document that we're all familiar with, the Common Core. And you know the Common Core, as folks in social studies may know and may recall, if you can flash back to 2010, included within it some mention and reference to social studies uh, pages. I think it was like 64 and 65 in the document mentioned social studies and put forward some standards for social studies literacy. In the process of developing the Common Core, the social studies community was not engaged. And so we were caught by surprise. I think that's an understatement to say we were surprised at the publication of the C3 framework. Everybody was. But more than surprised, we were a little disheartened that professionals in the field hadn't been engaged. Uh, it wasn't as if what was included in the Common Core was bad, you know, or problematic, but it just didn't reflect where we were and didn't bring us into the conversation, those of us in social studies. And so we got together in our field and said, you know what, we need to put forward an articulation and a representation of what we want in our field. Um, and that was the origin of this thing called the C3 framework. Uh, it, it, at the beginning, it was commissioned again by folks that were a part of CCSSO and Nebraska was, a, was at the table. We thought we were going to do a national standards project by the Common Core, but uh, that is not what it ended up to be. 
And part of the reason for that is because as good social studies people, we were paying attention to what was going on with the Common Core. We were watching the politics of the Common Core, the implementation, the rollout of it. As folks will recall, there was a big implementation effort and uh, rather considerable incentive to adopt the Common Core, race to the top, and hundreds of millions of dollars that were provided to states were an opportunity at least to compete for those funds um, if they adopted the Common Core. Forty, I think six states did adopt the Common Core. And uh, many of those states, including my home state, Nebraska, received hundreds of millions of dollars in funding from Race to the Top as a result. But then it all came apart. Many people viewed it as an overreach on the part of the federal government, the United States Department of Education and other organizations. And in state after state, including my home state, North Carolina, uh, folks quit the Common Core. So we were watching all that play out. We're like, well, we're not going to make that mistake. We're not going to have a national standards project in social studies. But... What we can do is provide guidance. And so what we ended up doing is publishing this document called the C3 Framework, which is a guidance document for states to develop or redevelop or upgrade state standards. Published it on September 17th, 2013, Constitution Day. So we wanted to put, put it forward as kind of our constitution for social studies education. Uh, we had no idea what the reception was going to be. It ended up where CCSSO did not publish it. Um, it got a little too hot in the kitchen for CCSSO, and so they decided they needed to really focus on some core things and couldn't really go into the social studies area. Our professional organization, the National Council for the Social Studies, picked up the work and published the C3 framework. And so when we put it out, you know, we put it out to great fanfare at our annual conference in, I think it was in St. Louis uh, in 2013, but we didn't know what to expect. Now, flash forward, here we are 10, almost 11 years later, and it's been remarkably successful. We have 38 states around the country that have picked up the C3 and used it as an influence document to redo their standards or upgrade their standards. And it's a really interesting collection of states uh, that have done this work. So we've been really pleased. Now, after the publication, you know, we were watching what was happening. We very quickly came to believe, and this is before the publication of the C3 framework, but we very quickly came to believe that if we were going to have any influence, we were going to need something in addition to this guidance document. It was going to be one thing to put out the C3 framework and offer people some examples of, or state some examples of what standards in social studies might look like, but we needed to do more. We needed to have a curriculum articulation of what the C3 framework was calling for. And so at the publication of the C3 framework, we did that. I'm using the plural we a lot because this was a highly collaborative effort. There were hundreds of people that were involved in the publication of the C3 framework. And, you know, it's the honor of my professional life to have been one of the folks that was able to work on that with my close friends and colleagues, Kathy Swan and S.G. Grant, we served as the lead writers for the C3 framework. And the three of us decided to create a network of teachers when we published the C3 framework to bring together folks that were interested in the message that the C3 framework was communicating. And we called that network C3 Teachers. The message of the C3 framework is that inquiry is a valuable and we think most appropriate approach to teaching and learning in social studies. In the C3 framework, we have something called the inquiry arc. The inquiry arc is a concept and it's an organizational structure for the document. Um, as an organizational structure, what it does is it lays out four dimensions or four parts 
with which the C3 framework was organized. The four dimensions have to do with questioning, which is the first one, the disciplines of social studies, concepts and tools within the disciplines, uh, using evidence to make claims is the third one, and communicating the conclusions of an argument resulting from a question asking and taking informed action. Conceptually, what the inquiry arc is, is it's an approach. It's an approach to living, honestly, to living in a democratic society. If you think about life, life has an arc to it. You know, you begin, you're born, you go through your life and all the complications and the beauty of life, and then it comes to a conclusion. And we wanted to evoke that and use that as a way of thinking about inquiry. Inquiry begins with a question, and then you go through all the twists and turns of the life of an inquiry, and you come to some conclusions and communicate those, and then move forward with the next, next thing that you're going to do. Uh, and so what we wanted to do is to bring that inquiry arc to life. And so Kathy Esty and I brought together an amazingly talented group of people, and we built something called the Inquiry Design Model, or IDM. And we used the C3 network C3 Teachers Network as a vehicle to get the inquiry design model out to teachers and to invite them to design inquiry curriculum materials using this model. IDM is a 10-step model for building curriculum materials, inquiry-based curriculum materials. The work really got a big boost in the state of New York in 2014. We received a grant from the state of New York to build a curriculum, an inquiry-based curriculum, to support their new standards, which incorporated the C3 framework and the inquiry arc. Ironically, the money for that grant came from Race to the Top, which was the funding mechanism that encouraged folks to adopt the C3 framework. Uh, so we did benefit from the Common Core and that funding mechanism. Through that project, uh, it was a three and a half million dollar project, we built out the inquiry design model. We built our first 84 inquiries, implemented them in New York, where they're still being used to this day. And as I guess we sometimes say in, in social studies, the rest is history. <laughs> We've been going since then, building inquiries, hundreds and hundreds of them, including this amazing collection of inquiries in, in Nebraska um, that teachers, the educators in, in the state have developed recently. I think that gives us a pretty natural pivot then to um, bring in Mark and get a little better sense of that project uh, and some of those units and where that work has really influenced uh, yeah, what we've done in the state of Nebraska. Yeah, it's been really exciting. In 2019, November of 2019, our state board approved new social studies standards in Nebraska, and a major feature of those standards was inquiry. It was a major shift within our standards, and it was really a, a major shift from our previous version of the standards from 2012. And um, even though we had a little bit of interesting roll out of those standards with uh, with COVID a few months later, we really were thinking about how can we support our teachers in engaging students in inquiry in the social studies classroom, especially when, you know, in some cases, the materials that they had didn't lend uh, themselves well to that. And so that really started the conversation and connected us with C3. Uh, in 2021, there was a group of ESU leaders who were trained by C3 uh, in the inquiry design model. And that really started a conversation around how can we use this model to really help teachers have access to uh, materials that would allow them to, uh, to do inquiry with their students. And so this, that led us into the first year of the project in the summer of 2022. We had 30 teachers from across the state sign up to create uh, inquiry units of study using the inquiry design model. We asked them to create one three to five day inquiry unit of study that was connected to 
one of the Nebraska social studies standards. Again, the focus of that project was for grades four through eight. And we, I mean, we were, this was brand new to us. We trained the teachers. It was brand new to them. And so John mentioned the inquiry arc. We trained them in the inquiry arc. We trained them in the IDM. And then we supported them as they wrote curriculum. And as we know, that is a really hard thing to do. It's a lot of heavy brain work. And, you know, it took a good chunk of time that summer, but ultimately we walked away. We were really pleased with the results and we were super pleased that we had 30 inquiry units of study then created by Nebraska educators that could be freely used by Nebraska educators across the state uh, that coming year. And so then we were thrilled when we were uh, notified that our statewide ESU coordinating council was going to support two more years of that project. And so we had cohort two last summer, uh, 2023 and um, had great uh, group of participants there. And I feel like once again, just produced great results, great units that were made available for teachers across the state. And now as we look at our standards for fourth through eighth grade, we have pretty good coverage uh, for units connected to those standards. And we're entering uh, the summer of 2024. This is the final year of the project. And uh, right now we're just in the process of recruiting teachers to apply to be a part of this. And I think one of the most encouraging things to me is so far, you know, we've got a great group of applicants who are veterans from this project. So I think to me, that is the biggest affirmation that this is helpful uh, for teachers, not only to learn about the process of inquiry, but also to create resources that they can actually use with their students. So that's been a, a great affirmation. I love to see teachers finding this beneficial and uh, love to equip teachers with the tools they need to work with students. Well, and I'll uh, expound upon that a little bit and just add that the grades four through eight resources came as a result, right, of the Nebraska State Department of Education uh, employing John Hopkins to do a survey that produced the identification of those grades as needing these materials. And maybe an oversimplification of it would be to say in Nebraska, in fourth grade, you learn about the history of Nebraska and they're not an overwhelming amount of materials nationally that's exclusive to Nebraska history <laughs> in terms of textbooks and, and programs. So I think that that sort of speaks a little bit to why, you know, this was a high need area for us here in our state, given what the emphasis is. So with that, I guess I'd love to get under the hood and talk more about what, like, what does this look like for, you mentioned there, Mark, uh, the classroom teacher, that it is a little bit of a, uh, I think anytime you try something new as a classroom teacher, there is an onboarding to that, that it needs support, that needs feedback. Uh, and so what what is typical, I guess, um, and John as well, in your experience also for onboarding teachers, speak to those differences. Yeah, I can share a bit about that. I think first of all, it's, you know, it's a shift, you know, it's thinking about the teacher's role differently when you're using the IDM, I think redesign model. Obviously, students need to have some background knowledge. They need to have some sense of the characters and the events of whatever uh, topic they're studying. But the role of the teacher is different. They're not just the deliverer of information, but they're really facilitating learning. They're facilitating the students wrestling with the questions that are in the inquiry unit. And uh, so that really is a shift. And I think that's kind of the first thing to think through as a classroom teacher is like, man, my my role really is different. And then we just spent a lot of time with teachers helping to think through, you know, the compelling question of the inquiry design model uh, in their unit, right? We need to have a quality, compelling question that's going to drive the inquiry unit. And there's so many different characteristics of the 
compelling question that that makes it a good compelling question. And so helping them craft that was a process. And I think it's a fun process, but I don't know, you know, there's so many teachers that would say, I had a compelling question and then I modified it and then I modified it again. And it's just like, uh, there's so many iterations of that compelling question before they, before they finally found their version that they were going to move with. And then finding good quality sources for students to interact with and just like, talking with teachers about what makes a quality source and what are some sites that we can go to to find some of those sources. So that was something that we talked about with teachers a lot. And then how can we help all students access those sources? What might be some scaffolds that we can build in? Because, you know, in some of the sources that we're introducing with students, there's language in those sources that we don't use in, in, anymore. So how can we help students understand the content of the source, understand what's being said in the source, and then be able to use that in the unit in their understanding of the topic? So there's so many different um, pieces within the IDM that is just a process as we learn and we explore. Um, there's time, there's training, there's Again, there's heavy brain work on the teacher's part. It's a process to learn for sure, but it's been a beneficial one. Yeah, I would echo everything that you just said, Mark. When I think about the work of teachers on inquiry, I, I think about two things. And you mentioned both of them. One is the teacher is a designer, mm-hmm. um, which is empowering in many ways. You know, it, once upon a time, not too long ago, you know, oftentimes teachers were expected to implement what other people designed in, you know, whether it was a textbook company or maybe a curriculum company or, you know, some group of people that's external to the context within which teachers are teaching. They're handing materials to the teacher and saying, okay, now go teach this. With IDM and with the approach that we're using, teachers are empowered to be designers, to build the curriculum materials that they're going to implement in their classroom. And and I think all of our experiences, we would agree that that is a very important part of being an educator. The other part of it is what happens when you implement that inquiry. And there really is a shift. You know, the teacher moves from being the focus of the classroom, which is kind of a traditional approach to education, to the students being the focus, which is how it should be. I mean, that's why we're there. We're there for students who are there to build up their knowledge and practice and build up the skills they need to be good citizens. And that's what social studies does. And so what we found is that teachers that are implementing inquiry are working harder than any old teacher you're going to find in a classroom. You know, it's a lot more work than standing in the front of the class and delivering content to students to be repositioned, moving around the class and facilitating students as they go through this process. And it infuses a lot of energy in the classroom and empowers students. And we've really seen uh, the teachers in social studies gravitating to this. So we think we're onto something. John, you do remind me uh, when you're giving your example of the traditional approach there of the teacher at the front delivering to the class of my own, I think, well, within this grade band, seventh grade experiences. Uh, I had a workbook that I found recently where I you know, put all these facts in and I can still see my teacher standing on a desk throwing wads of paper to illustrate Bunker Hill, and then, like being able to attack from above or something to that effect. And with that, I do see the benefit of inquiry and the opportunity to focus in on the skills that they will need to be members of society moving forward. And I'd love to press into that a little bit more, right? The benefit, what's that like take for the learner? And as you mentioned too, uh, as a teacher, you're busier. How could that be though? What does it mean to facilitate 
that. And and I think hopefully I'm not asking two questions uh, that, that are different. I, I would imagine there's almost kind of a Venn diagram overlap between those two, right? Busy in the support of what we're trying to foster in the students that we serve. Yeah, maybe I'll take part of it. Mark, you're probably closer to teachers in the classroom than I am at this point. I get the privilege of being able to teach teachers. But, you know, the classrooms that I'm in are at the university level, mostly. But with regard to the first part of your question, Andrew, you know, the why of social studies, I think in, in my view, and, I, you know, this view, I think is shared very broadly in social studies. Our field is about preparing young people to be good people, to be citizens in this democracy, in this complicated, beautiful society that we live in. It doesn't necessarily come natural or easy. And so it's important to have opportunities to practice with the skills that you need to be a good citizen, to practice with the ways of thinking and acting that are needed to be a good person, to be a humane person. And that's what we do in social studies. It's not about filling up young people's minds with information. It's about using information and using knowledge strategically to accomplish the goals that we have, the shared goals that we have in our society. And so we view inquiry as the ideal vehicle by which to do that, because it turns out that most of life is about addressing questions, trying to figure out how to get stuff done. And that's what inquiry is about. It's about addressing a question and trying to figure out, oftentimes in an intellectual context, but trying to figure out how to get something done in responding to the question that's in front of you. And so I think most social studies teachers view their work as being quite consequential in that we, I guess, if you were to think about it as, there's, I guess, a lot of metaphors you could use, but if you were to think about it as something that's about trying to support our society. We're on the front lines of supporting, you know, and building and strengthening our democracy as we're preparing young people to participate in our democracy. And I will say that it's not just about preparation. It's about engaging. You know, it's not like you go to school in order to be prepared to do something else. You go to school because that is something. Going to school is life. And it's a slippery slope when we keep talking about preparation, you know, like you, you go to school to prepare to go to work and then you go to work to prepare to retire. And then you retire and you're like, oh, dang, what just happened to my life? I spent all this time getting ready for the next thing. I forgot to live. And so we really have to, you know, take care to provide the students in our classrooms an opportunity to live, to see themselves as individuals who have an opportunity to contribute, but to recognize that they're novice. And so we build up all this support around them as they practice with these skills of engaging with others in a humane way, in a thoughtful way, and dealing with the complexity of living in this democratic society we have in our country. And it's that aim that makes the teacher part tough, right? Because it's a lot easier to stay up the front and have you listen to me uh, but to actually be actively invested in the myriad of conversations that are taking place as students go through, right, Mark, I, you know better than I do, but I certainly can see that. Yeah, I think some of the benefits that I've seen and I've heard teachers talk about, too, is just like this process really helps students learn to be informed receivers of information. Like as they're looking through those sources, they're really thinking about you know, who created it, for what purpose, like what's it trying to communicate? And I think that's that's a really good 
skill for them to develop. And then John touched on this as well, but just to see students interact with each other in this process, this is not something that uh, students are going to work through uh, you know, individually, entirely in a classroom, like they're working together with their classmates, wrestling through some of these questions, trying to, to derive meaning from these things. And I just think there's great value in that. And then ultimately having to communicate what they're learning, like that's a great skill uh, for them to develop as well, uh, serves them well now, serves them well in the future. And so I think those, in addition to things John mentioned, those are uh, great benefits of this. And and I think too, you know, I, th I think of some, some of the compelling questions that we've seen teachers uh, develop are so excellent. You know, when you first read the compelling question, you might think, oh, it's a pretty like simple, straightforward question. But then when you dive into the unit, you're like, no, it's not. Like there's so many different facets of this and there's so many different uh, points of view. There's so many different sources that we're wrestling through. And so really to come back and answer that compelling question, which our students are asked to do in these units, like that is a challenging task. And so to your question, Andrew, about like what makes this so challenging for teachers, it's because the things that students are doing in here are really complex things. They're understanding cause and effect and how the, with the impact of these things, like it's not just remembering names and dates, it's actually applying what they're learning in a deep way. And that's a challenging thing for teachers to help students do. And this is a framework that, that we believe uh, is, is going to be useful for teachers in accomplishing that. Wow. Yeah. The depth to which students have to employ skills, uh, critical thinking, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. everything that you mentioned there with regards to their interaction with those primary sources. Mm -hmm. And I really like what you said there too about then having to transfer that into a place where not only are you expected to articulate your disposition or learning as a result of those, but then to also be an active listener. I, I mean, you're just layering in so many aspects uh, that, that certainly puts the learner at the center of that experience. Uh, and it has to make for an engaging uh, opportunity in class. And Okay, I was an English teacher. I was not a social studies teacher, but I would imagine that these are times um, that would be a little, I would be very sensitive to what I would say in class if I were to lead a social mm -hmm. studies course. Um, and I, I think our educators broadly do a very nice job of that, right? Um, but I understand too that uh, we're all people and there's the opportunity for maybe some uh, personal perspectives or biases to get in there. Uh, and I would think that a, a model like this really uh, would alleviate that sort of concern from the teachers and because you're really just presenting primary documents and the space for students to engage in them, right? I mean, is that like a benefit of this structure or? Well, yeah, I think so. I'll take that one on. And then Mark, maybe you can weigh in. Um, so here's a, there's a, an irony in your question, Andrew. It does seem like we're at a moment in time right now that's quite divisive, or maybe put differently, it seems as if people have stark views, and those views are being amplified by, you know, the media sort of landscape and the ways in which we communicate right now. So maybe it's not the case, really, that we're, you know, we have greater divisions or greater, more stark differences of opinion or politics, but maybe we just know more about it right now. Regardless, Traditional approaches to teaching position a teacher where they are a conveyor of information. And it is quite easy in that context to not just convey information neutrally, but to convey information with perspective and with, you know, whatever you want to refer to it as bias, a political agenda, whatever it is. And, you know, that's for a long time been an issue in social studies. You know, the teacher is standing in front of the classroom and they're 
making decisions about what to communicate and how to communicate that, and it's got this perspective wrapped into it, then students aren't really given an opportunity to see a broad view, you know, and to understand that there may be other ideas that stand in contrast to what the teacher is telling them. In an inquiry classroom, what the student is asked to do is to think for themselves first, understand they're novices, so they have to have a lot of support, but to think for themselves and to engage in an environment where they're thinking in such a way that a variety of perspectives are represented and respected, whether it's reflective of what the teacher thinks about this particular thing or not. It may or may not be, but it opens the space up and provides more opportunity for discourse, for dialogue, and importantly, for differences to be uh, represented in the classroom and to be considered in the classroom. Now, for me, that's at the heart and soul of what our society is all about, this society is all about. It's about having the freedom to be able to think for oneself and to find your way to the position that you're going to take with evidence and support of what you're going to say, which is what the inquiry model does. So yeah. I, I guess the, then the irony is, <laughs> yes, maybe we could say things are more divisive. Yes, we could probably say there is a little bit of pressure on social city teachers right now because people are paying attention and cameras are out and they're recording and saying what's happening. But at the same time, it seems as if if you use an inquiry, all views are on the table. So that seems to be potentially less objectionable than just one view being on the table. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, what you said is, I think is, is right on. And I, I appreciate in this model that it's, it's by no means the case that one's viewpoint has to be everyone's viewpoint. You know, there's multiple perspectives presented in these units and students get to, to wrestle through all the evidence. And then ultimately they get to have dialogue with their reasoning. They get an opportunity to voice that. And um, again, there's room to disagree. And I think, you know, that's a great skill for, for students to be able to take a stance support their stance with some reasoning and it's okay if their stance is different than than the classmates or than the teachers and that's part of the benefit of this yeah makes you think of the quote the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain an idea without having to accept it kind of an approach to things which i really appreciate mm -hmm. uh and see across both of those responses and you know i i say it every week as we're recording uh 30 minutes goes really fast so <laughs> we've that said to kind of bring us to a close here, I guess, we have a number of things we'd like to highlight, and some of that would really just start with resources. And so, uh, John, do you want to speak maybe first to C3 Teachers, the web address, and, and what uh, resources educators might find there that would be helpful towards onboarding to some of this? Sure thing. Uh, C3 Teachers is online at c3teachers.org. The website has been up and running for a number of years now. We have about 300 or so inquiries that are available for educators, if you visit the site, they're organized um, in two big groups. If you're on the website, you'll see across the top in the navigational structure, there's a link to something that says inquiries. And if you click on the inquiry link, you'll get access to about a couple of hundred inquiries that are available in a database that's searchable or browsable. And we've organized these using a couple of different approaches. We have something called hubs. Um, Nebraska has a hub. And so we have an inquiry there you can check out, well, several inquiries you can check out. And we've also organized those by topics. Additionally, you can, on C3 Teachers, access these things we call hubs, C3 hubs. And you can 
hit the link at the top of the page to see those. There are two types of hubs. We have state hubs and organizational hubs, um, about 13 or so state hubs, including Nebraska. And if you go to the Nebraska state hub, which you can either navigate to or go directly to the URL, which is c3teachers.org slash Nebraska dash, like a little hyphen dash, C3 dash hub, then you'll get a link to what Mark's going to tell you about, which is this amazing collection of inquiries that have been developed over the last year or so, as well as some inquiries that were developed previously. One of them is on a question that asked, what did freedom mean for Anna? And Anna was an enslaved woman in Washington, D.C. area, and a project was done at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln by a professor there named Will Thomas, who's a history professor, um, and he researched her life and produced uh, this really beautiful documentary of her story that you can click on and take a look at. And then another professor at Lincoln did an inquiry with his students. Uh, his name is Aaron Johnson, and so you'll get access to that inquiry as well. And then a couple other inquiries that were developed, um, God, it's probably been about six or seven years ago. One of them's on baseball in Nebraska by a, a former student at, at University of Nebraska named Jesse Rod, and another one's about the Civil War in Native Americans. So those were all available on C3 Teachers. And then Mark, I guess you can say something about that collection sure. I mentioned. Yeah, I would just strongly encourage uh, teachers to to check out the the inquiry units that are on the C three site. You know, specifically uh, take a look at the the units that came from this project. I, I think they're really well done. I feel like our our participating teachers did a fantastic job the last two summers, and I'm so excited for this final summer. But you know, teachers can go there, and I, I've I've even heard from some teachers maybe at the elementary level where maybe they're new to social studies and they want to introduce inquiry in their classrooms, and I just feel like it's great for them because they can go there. It's basically walks them through the process, all of the links, all the resources they need are right there. And so I feel like it really is a great resource to help teachers, especially if inquiry is new uh, to them, just to really make that shift in their classroom. So really encourage uh, teachers to, to check that out. Again, so grateful for the, the teachers who have participated in this project and really for all the ESU. We've had great uh, ESU support across the state. So, so thankful for all those who are in kind of the social studies realm in Nebraska and have helped lead this work and grateful for our ESU leadership uh, and their commitment to funding the project. Grateful for you, Andrew. You've been such a great uh, advocate for our project and have helped so many people learn about it. So I'm grateful for all of your efforts as well. Uh, I would echo that. Just tremendous effort in Nebraska with this. Um, and, you know, as you're talking there, sharing with teachers the reasons to access this. Yes, each of them serves as an exemplar. Uh, mm -hmm. And if you would like to like utilize that for the questions, like and how to, you know, phrase the, or the structure uh, that's available, finding those primary sources uh, has been a challenge. Uh, and so maybe you're going to go there just to be able to find some primary sources for your own purposes, right? And then, and then in the process of that, maybe learn a little bit more about inquiry. But whatever drives you to go there first, just would definitely encourage folks to check it out, uh, whether you do that through some of the local avenues for accessing those resources, but definitely through the c3teachers.org site. And yeah. if you'd like to be part of the upcoming effort this next summer, we still have space available. We're actually just making that link uh, for registration available to our Nebraska educators. And so, Mark, where can people access that? 
Yeah, so there's been emails that have gone out uh, and will be going out from all the ESUs with the the link to sign up and apply uh, to be a part of this final cohort. We are having a deadline for that application on March 6th, and then we'll make the decision for who's in the project uh, shortly after that. Mid-March is when we hope to, uh, to have that out to our participants. If you haven't seen that email come your way, I just encourage you to reach out to your ESU uh, and just ask for that information because they have it for you. Uh, but it should be coming your way from your social studies content specialist at your local ESU. And I also want to say, too, the, the project has been focused on grades four through eight. But if you're a K-3 teacher or if you're a high school teacher, you're still welcome to apply for the project. We've had participants uh, in the past who teach outside that four through eight grade band. They participate. They ride a unit for the four through eight grade band. So even though they might not get to use their unit in their classroom, they still get to learn about uh, C3. They still get to learn about the inquiry arc uh, and the IDM. And then they can take that back and they can use that knowledge to create resources for their own classroom as well. And you can make your way to C3 teachers because there's inquiry units of study for K-12. And so that's another great resource for you to access as well. Thanks for pointing that out, Mark, too, that uh, I know Deb Palman, as she championed this effort before her retirement, really stressed that this is a professional learning opportunity for educators out there and that that's uh, a big piece of this, this effort. So, John, do you have a closing message for us, not to put you on the spot, but maybe something to bring us home? Yeah, absolutely. I, first of all, I want to say thank you for uh, having me on. And Mark, congratulations and thanks for all the terrific work that's being done in the state of Nebraska around inquiry. For me, inquiry is a vehicle by which we can, one student at a time, show the people that we are responsible to that we care about our students, we care about each other, and we care about this place that we live, this society, this country, this democracy that we live in. Um, and we take serious the responsibility we have to prepare young people to be contributors to uh, our democracy. And we really do believe that inquiry is the means by which we can accomplish that. Well, thank you both so much for your daily advocacy for that and for doing that for over the course of our time here together on the podcast. Just really grateful uh, for you uh, choosing this avenue as a place to share. And we will look forward to the 2024 project and continue to grow these resources in support of educators with their inquiry and instruction. So thanks. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you.